Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Yeah? Welcome to Outreach Church. Is there anybody here? I think there is. Actually, I've met some people coming in. Very first time ever coming to Outreach. Don't worry, we're not going to point you out, call you out, make you do anything weird. Yeah, very first time. Yeah, we are thankful. Yeah. We're thankful that you're here. We appreciate you coming. Uh, we just want to let you know that, that maybe you're some of the people we've been praying for as we pray God send the people here that you feel that are supposed to be part of this body to accomplish what you have for us to accomplish in this city. Um, we, we don't feel like this is just a once a week gathering um, to pep ourselves up and then go out and live our lives the rest of the week. We feel like we're a body that's called together to, to love each other, support each other, walk through life together. And we feel like everybody that's here has something inside of them to contribute and to give and to, to be used and drawn out and grown in by God um, to, to become the person that God created them to be fully. Um, and so there's no superstars here. It's not a, a show about me or the worship team or the prayer team or anybody like that. It, it's really just a gathering of people who love each other, love God tremendously, and really want to be used for His glory and to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth. Jesus said, pray that the kingdom of heaven would come to earth. And as much as we pray and ask Him for the things that we need daily, we should be praying, God, that the kingdom of heaven would come to earth. And then we should also be living with the mindset that if the kingdom of heaven is to invade Greenville, it's going to come through people. It's always been about God using people to accomplish His his task in this earth. It's always been about Him showing Himself through people to people. Always. And it hasn't changed since. And so we, we just... We, we feel like um, that, that we are called together as a body, and we're really thankful that you're here. We appreciate you coming. We feel like worship is a time where everyone just get, adds what they have to the worship thing. It's not a performance. We're not here to watch the worship team and, and, and clap for them. We're here to actually join in and add and, and worship together and, and to, to worship as a body together and respond together to what God's done for us. You can only respond to His love. It wasn't, it wasn't your idea. He thought of it and He made it up. He decided that he was going to love you before you knew that he even existed while you were living your life completely ignorant to his existence and you thought you had your back turned to him running as far from him as you possibly could be the whole time he was standing there with open arms waiting for you because he decided to love you before you even existed. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about that. You're no accident even if your parents think you were. You're here for a reason. And He loves you. He sent His Son to die because He loved you, not so that He could love you. You weren't this thing that walked around that He didn't love, and so He sent Jesus to die so that He could now begin to love you. It says that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Because He loved the world, He sent Jesus to die. So, that's something to be excited about. That's something to be really excited about. And as Mark was telling that story about um, Smith Wigglesworth and telling the people, look, don't look at him, don't look at what's going on with his body, reminding me of a verse where Paul said, so from therefore from now on we see no man according to the flesh. 
In other words, we don't look at people strictly with the ability that we have as humans to see things and to reason and use logic and determine whether or not there is a reason that we should believe they can be okay. And, and you know, as much as it goes for someone withering away on a bed with a disease, it also goes for people who are withering away in this life, living their lives completely with their backs turned towards God running in the opposite direction. We don't look at them with human eyes. We don't see them according to their flesh and judge them by the mistakes that they're making or the sin that they're living in or, or the attitude that they have or the way they, they shake their fist at heaven and seem to defy God. We don't judge them by that. We don't see them according to the flesh. We see them with the eyes of God and see them as a lost son, a lost daughter whom He loves desperately and He sent His Son to die for. And maybe He wants to use us to show them how much He loves them rather than to condemn them. They're already condemned in their own minds. Trust me. When you're living that way, no matter how much you swear that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, no matter how many times you justify it, no matter how often you fool yourself, no matter how often you defend yourself, when you lay your head down at night at the end of the day, you know that something's wrong, that something's missing. You know there's something more. I know that because I spent the first half of my life living that way. No matter how many times I would tell myself it was okay when I closed my eyes at night, I knew it wasn't. I knew there was something more. I knew there was something more to life than this. They don't need you to condemn them. The enemy does a good job of that. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He spends his time accusing them. Accusing God to man and accusing man to himself. And letting them know just how worthless they are. Just how shameful they are. Just how guilty they are. Just how sinful they are. Just how bad they are. Just how far they've gone and how they could never come back and how God could never really love them and how they've done too much, said too much, gone too far. And over and over and over again, the voice of the accuser pounds in the ears and they already feel condemned. The last thing they need is somebody to come along who claims to be representing God and condemn them as well and echo the voice of the enemy. What they need is someone to come along who sees them not according to the flesh and sees them for who God sees them as and speaks truth to them. Truth that has nothing to do with maybe what their circumstances are. The things that we find ourselves saying to people might shock them because it's not based on what they're living in or the circumstances that they're living in or the the disguise they've put on or the sin that they found themselves in because we speak truth to them. Because while man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. And then we're called to represent the heart of God to people. And so we look and we see their heart and we speak truth to them that breaks the lie rather than adding to the condemnation that they already feel. We're not called to walk around with weights and make people feel heavier. We're called to walk around with truth that sets people free and makes them feel lighter. And so when we walk through this life, it's important that we see no man according to the flesh, that we actually see them the way God sees them. We speak to them the way God would speak to them. That doesn't mean that you gloss over things that they're doing that are wrong in their lives, but it's the way that we do it. And we look at them and we see the things that they're doing wrong. And rather than call them who they are because of the mistakes that we made, we tell them who they are so that they see the mistakes as what they are. See, if somebody knows that they're better than that, then they have a reason to be better than that. If somebody feels like that's all they are, then that's all they're going to live like. If we could speak to people and tell them who they really are, then they see a reason why they should live a different way rather than tell them what they are and tell them to try and live a different way so they can become something else that never works. Because then you've got to earn it and then you wake up in the morning and you decide whether or not that's true about you based on your performance the day before. And you're stuck in this roller coaster where I had a good day yesterday, I didn't do this, didn't do this, didn't do this, did do this, did do this, and wow, I feel like a child of God today. And then you make a mistake and you go home and the enemy starts kicking you and says, you can't, I can't believe that you think that you're a Christian. I can't believe that you think that he would love you after what you did. And you start agreeing because your idea of who you are is based on what you've done. 
Don't ever be part of that with somebody. Don't ever be part of labeling people by what they've done. That's what the world does. We're called to see no man according to the flesh, so we see them for who God created them to be. We see the created value inside of them, and we speak to them based on that and tell them their worth and tell them their value and tell them that they're so much more than the mistakes that they're making. They're so much better than the things that they've done wrong. They are the sum total of everything that Jesus did right because He came for them and lived for them and died for them so that they could be die with Him and be raised again with Him in newness of life. That God has already reconciled them to Himself. We read that over and over again in the New Testament. It's not that God is wanting to reconcile them. It says now we see that through Jesus, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Through Jesus, God was reconciling. The world has been reconciled through Jesus to Himself. And now we beg as though God Himself were speaking through us that people would be reconciled to God. See, God's already reconciled the world to Himself. All it takes now is man to understand that and allow himself to be reconciled in his own mind. And when you're reconciled in your heart and in your mind, if your mind doesn't accuse you and your heart doesn't accuse you, how can the enemy accuse you? If you know the truth inside of you of who you are in Christ, what room is there for the enemy to come in and tell you a lie? Because God's voice thunders while His voice is just a little whisper. But it can be the other way, right? If what we're hearing and what we're believing and what we're listening to is the voice of the enemy, then that starts thundering and that small voice of God gets drowned out. That's why we need to speak truth to people so that we don't ever agree with the accuser. We always agree with truth. We always sound like God, look like God, act like God in every situation. Because that's what we're called to do. You thought you were just praying a prayer to go to heaven sometimes, you know, people. I thought that at first. I thought I was just praying a prayer to go to heaven. That one day when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven with God. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll pray this prayer. And then I came to understand the true gospel and what it was to be taken from the kingdom of darkness and be placed in the kingdom of His Son whom He loves. And I understood that, that, that it was so much more than just one day going to heaven. It was about that day heaven coming into me so that I could now live for Him and He could live through me. kind of goes along with what we're talking about today. We've been talking about covenant for a while now, the covenant that God has with men. Has it, has it been changing your life the way it's been changing mine? Anybody? Yeah? A few people. Well, the rest of you guys, we'll pray for you, and, and, and hopefully it'll be life-changing stuff. But truthfully, I think that there's no way that we can hear about the covenant that God established with man without it changing the way that we think and the changing the way that we feel about who we are and who we've become in Christ. And the amazing thing about this is that it'd be one thing if man made this up and this was our idea and we presented it to God and he okayed it, but it was his idea and he presented it to man. He came up with this. It wasn't that we talked him into something. This was his idea. This was his plan. This was his will for our lives. And he presents it to us and waits for us to say okay to him. That's, that's the amazing thing about the gospel is not that, that we would accept what God's done for us. Right? Like It's not that I would take my... My, my, my existence up until the point that I came to discover what God was offering me and that I would take my life up to that point and trade it in for the life that He offered. There's nothing amazing about that. I was absolutely everything that you can imagine wrong with a person and then some. And the fact that I would look at myself and then look at Him and see what He offered me and I would say yes to the life that He offered, there's nothing amazing about that. But the fact that He would look at my life and see who I was and look at Himself as being God on the throne and that He would come down to earth and strip Himself of His, of his deity and take on me in exchange so that I could take on Him, that's amazing. 
That's amazing. That takes some faith to believe. That takes my breath away. That makes me thankful. That gives me a reason to sing and a reason to shout. That I would accept Him. Not that amazing. That He would accept me. Oh, that's amazing. And so we've been talking about this stuff and going through the steps of covenant, how they were fulfilled in the old in the old. Uh, covenant in the Old Testament and how Jesus came and fulfilled them and and always keeping this verse in mind the Hebrews 8 6 that, that we have that he is now the administrator of a better covenant based on better promises and so if we read it in the Old Testament we read it in the Old Covenant that it was a promise from God towards man then we understand that the covenant that we have in the New Testament in the new covenant of Jesus Christ after he came and gave his life that he came to seal we have a better promise than any promise that we read in the Old Covenant And so reading through the Old Covenant is good because it should excite us for what we've been promised and what has been made accessible to us. And it's pretty amazing when you read through the promises of God in the Old Covenant to think that they could be better. But the Word says that they are. And so this week we're going to talk about the exchange of robes, the exchange of coats. Um, And if if you'd open up your Bibles to Exodus 32, uh, we're going to start reading in the Word there, but um, just in a second. And 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 understand this that that this step is like all the steps right like we talked about the exchange of names that God took on the son of man or the son of god came to earth and took on the name son of man so that the sons of man could take on the name sons of god behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god and such we are so, so this exchange in the covenant, in the Old Testament, God becomes the God of Abraham. He names himself the God of Abraham. And Abraham takes in the name of God into his. And Abram becomes Abraham. And the very sound of God is inserted into the name of Abraham. And then Jesus comes and he calls himself over and over again. 37 times in the book of Mark, he calls himself, or in the book of Matthew, he calls himself Son of Man. Over and over again, he wants us to know he's taken on a new title. He's taken on a new name. And that name is the Son of Man. And then he gives his life and we, the sons of men, become the sons of God. There's always an exchange and he gives up something so that we can take it on and he takes on something so that we can give it up. It's always an exchange in covenant. That's the amazing thing about this covenant is that God, who he is, decided that he was going to start doing exchanges with we who we are. And just think about that for a second. I don't care how good your life's been. It hasn't been that good. How holy you think you are. It's not that holy. And that he would, he would decide to enter into this exchange with man of covenant. And so back in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, back in those times, the exchange of coats would be someone would take off their coat and they would give it to, to the other and the other would take off their coat and give it to them. And it wasn't like today where, where you, know, you have 15 coats in your closet and you wear a different one depending on your outfit or your shoes or you know, how hot or how cold it is or one of those things. You had one coat back in then and you were identified by that coat. People would recognize you by the coat that you were wearing. If somebody saw you coming and they saw the coat that you were wearing, they knew who you were and they recognized you and they identified you by that coat. And so in those days when they would exchange coats, when Jonathan exchanged robes with David and he took off his princely garment and David put it on, David now becomes identified with Jonathan. And when people would see David coming because he's wearing the princely garment, he is now due all the privileges, all the honor, all the esteem that's due to Jonathan because they've exchanged identity by the exchanging of the coat it is i take off all that i am and i put it on you and i take off all that you are and i put it on me and the exchange is so complete that when people see me coming because of the robe that i'm wearing they identify me with you and they identify you with me 
And so this was a big deal back then. It wasn't just, you know, hey, I like your jacket. I like yours too. Let's trade. It went so much deeper than that. It was an actual exchange of identity. It was saying everything that I am, all that I have, all that is due to me, all that is mine because of this position and because of the prestige and because of what this robe means, I give to you and I place upon you. In exchange, I take everything that you are, all that you have and everything that's due to you, and I put it on me. And that was pretty amazing for the shepherd to put on a princely robe, I would imagine. But in this case, it meant the prince had to take on the robe of a shepherd. And suddenly, he wouldn't be treated the same by people when they saw him coming. They wouldn't part traffic. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't lay down coats in front of him to walk across the muddy street. They wouldn't stop what they were doing to hail him and see, say hello to him. They wouldn't want his favor. They wouldn't treat him in a way that they could try to earn his favor. They would now treat him like a common shepherd because of the robe that he's wearing, whereas David would enjoy all the other benefits of it so if you've opened to exodus 32 18 this is moses remember he's talking to god and god's calling him to lead these people and and moses says to god as he speaks to him moses speaks to him face to face remember that verse in numbers that says if there be a prophet among you i'll speak to them dimly darkly with dreams or in visions But not so with my servant Moses, faithful in all of Israel. With him I speak mouth to mouth, and he even beholds my form. That there was something about the faithfulness of Moses, there was something about the loyalty of Moses, that God spoke to him faithfully. He said, listen, there might be prophets among you, that's fine, and I'll speak to them dimly through visions, through dreams, but not so with my servant Moses, because he's faithful in all of Israel. With him I speak open face to face, mouth to mouth, and he even beholds my form. There is something about having a history with God of faithfulness that God loves and rewards with more of Himself. There's something about that God loves when He finds faith. It says His eyes roam to and from looking for whom is faithful. The faithfulness that we show God is something about that that attracts more and more of Him as we're faithful to Him. And it's not a reward thing, right? Like some people, when we talk about this covenant stuff, we're not careful. We can start to think of it as like a wage or an earning. Well, if you do this, I'll do this. And, and that's not really how it is because the, the best way to explain it is it's all through relationship, right? So my wife got married to me and because she's my wife, she lives in a home that I work and provide. But it's not a reward. It's not as if I tell her, if you do this and if you do that, then I will do this and I will do that. It's because of the relationship that we're in. It's a natural reward for being in the relationship that we're in it's not her earning something it's because of who she is and who she is to me and that's how the covenant with god is it's a relationship with him and the and the blessing and the benefit of the covenant is not a wage that you earn by your works but it's a reward that is given to you because of the relationship that you're in my wife doesn't have to wake up every day and wonder if she's done enough to deserve to sleep in my home again that night because everything that is mine is hers and everything that's hers is mine because we're in covenant relationship So she has access to all that I am and I have access to all that she is. There's no more mine and hers. It's now ours. And this is how this covenant with God works. And so if you ever start to think of it in a wages or in a work or in an earning type of thing, just remember, none of it is a wage. None of it is earned. None of it is worked for. It's all a reward of relationship. It's all a benefit of relationship. It's all an inheritance because of who you are in Christ. So Moses is talking to the people. He says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. 
for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now fast forward a little bit to Exodus 34:29. This is after Moses has the encounter with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He tells him what he's going to expect of the people. And it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands of the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had, what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went to speak in to speak with the Lord. God, thank you so much for your word. God, that we have a written record of who you are. God, of who you've called us to be, of who you've promised to be for us and who you've said that we have become in Christ. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as we, as we speak today from your word, that, that, your, that the word would be from your heart straight to my lips, God, that, that, that nothing that is of me would come out in this message, God, but that you would speak, that we, our ears would be open to hear, our minds to be able to understand, our hearts to receive, that, that we would be good soil, that the seed of your word, God, would produce fruit in our lives, that we would look more and more like Jesus and that the world would taste and see that you're good. I thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so Moses would, would go up and, and meet with God. And this is, this is the first time really since the garden where God used to walk with man and man would walk with God naked and unashamed in front of him. And, and now God is once again walking with and meeting with a man and he is actually speaking to Moses. He says face to face. Obviously now when he says face to face, he means that Moses can see who he is, but not really see his face because he said, if you see my face, you'll die. But openly he speaks to him and and he beholds the form of the Lord. And so Moses would come down from the mountain after he spoke with God and he would come down and he didn't realize it. He didn't know it. And when he came walking down off the mountain after spending time with God, he's radiating. His face is shining. He's glowing. There's something different about him. And it's the goodness and the glory of God which he's beheld has now come upon Moses and has covered Moses. Even though it would fade over time, right? After he would be there for a while, it would come when he would come down off the mountain, that goodness, that, that glowing presence of God that was upon him would fade and then he would go back up and spend time with God and that, that glowing goodness and, and would radiate off him once again to the point where he'd have to cover his face because it would shine in front of the people and they were terrified to come in front of him. And see, the people back then, they just didn't understand the goodness of God. It's like Mephibosheth, right? When he hears that the king's looking for him because what he understands of earthly kings is that when someone ascends to the throne... They find the descendants of the king who was on the throne before them and they have them put to death so that no one could ever have a claim to the throne. And so when he comes before David, he comes before him fearfully and trembling and calling himself nothing but a a dead dog. It's because he didn't understand the heart of the king. He didn't understand that David wasn't looking for him to execute him, put him to death and punish him for what Saul had done wrong. He was looking for him to show him kindness because of the covenant he'd made with his son, Jonathan. See, they didn't understand the goodness of God back then. And so when they would see the goodness of God on David, when they, I mean on Moses, when they would see it radiating off of Moses, they would be terrified and not want to come near him. If they understood how good God was, if they would have understood his heart was to be their God and then be his people, to have relationship once again with men and dwell with them and among them and then be his people and he lead them and guide them like he promised, then they would have probably ran to Moses 
when they saw the goodness on him, but instead they ran away. And just as a side note, don't ever be afraid if somebody avoids you because of the goodness of God on your life. You'll find that there's people out there who used to have no problem being around you when you were doing the things that they were doing or when, when you were living a certain way that now all of a sudden they have a hard time being in the same room with you. They have a hard time being around you. They have a hard time maintaining relationship with you like they used to. And it has nothing to do with you condemning them or judging them. It's because there's a goodness inside of you. And when they're around you, it confronts that stuff that's inside of them. Don't feel bad for that. In fact, people should see something different. People should see a goodness after you've been spending time with God. The great news is, is that what was fading back then, what, what the glory that he had where God was in a place and he had to go to that place to experience the goodness and the glory of God now is removed and now God actually lives and dwells inside of you. And what was once fading now is eternal and permanent inside of you. You, you don't have to worry that it's going to fade, that it's going to go away. But you also have to understand that because of that, because you're different, it's going to cause people to react differently to you. And you look at yourself and you think, I look the same. Moses didn't even realize he was glowing. And you look at yourself and you say, I look the same. But people start avoiding you. Start not wanting to hang out with you. You may even hear the accusations of, you think you're better than me. When did I tell you that I'm better than you? What did I ever say? It has nothing to do with what you said. It has everything to do with the presence of God inside of you convicting them. And they don't understand it. And they don't understand God's goodness. They don't understand His heart for them. They don't understand how much He loves them and how they can have what you have. And so rather than being drawn to it, they want to run away from it just like the Israelites did when they would see the goodness of God. Don't take it personally. But also understand that part of our obligation of carrying the presence of God is that we demonstrate the goodness and the kindness and the love of the Father to people so that they're drawn to it rather than running away from it. Don't use seeing no man according to the flesh to judge people. It doesn't take all that much to look at somebody who's living in sin and see that they are and call them out for what they're doing wrong. It does, however, take the eyes of heaven to see someone living in that sin and see who they really are underneath the sin and call that out in them and speak to them that way rather than condemning them. So, so God wanted to dwell amongst His people. And I'll turn to Exodus 25. I know we're, we're kind of jumping around. We're going to be back and forth a little bit today. And I'm going to try to get through all of this in you know, timely fashion. Exodus 25 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the son of, sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise a contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet material. Fine linen, goat hair. Ram skin, dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. God ha- wants to dwell among his people. And so he has man dwell, construct for him an earthly tabernacle that he can dwell in. And the God of the universe comes down and his desire is always to dwell with his people. He comes down and dwells with Adam and Eve and, and then they have the fall and they're no longer comfortable in his presence and, and things change on their end. And so now he wants to dwell with the Israelites. And so he says, make me a tent, make me a tabernacle, make me a structure and I'll come down and I will put, I will dwell in that structure. In other words, the glory of God would come down and take on an earthly form, an earthly tent, an earthly tabernacle, and he would be 
there inside of that. He would take on that. They would clothe him with all those things that he said to bring. And that's where his presence would dwell. And so in the Old Covenant, the exchange was that Moses spends time with God and the glory of God rests upon Moses and radiates off of Moses and God Himself comes down and takes on an earthly tent, an earthly dwelling, an earthly tabernacle. The presence of God was what was supposed to distinguish the people. It was supposed to be something that made them look different. Remember when Moses was talking to God, he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people may be distinguished, distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? We see Moses talking about the glory of the presence or the goodness of God that was supposed to dwell on people and saying, listen, this is what is supposed to rest upon us that sets us apart from the people of this world. It's not that we're supposed to do all these other things and obey all these other laws and do those things that make us look different. What's supposed to set us apart from the people of God is that wherever we go, we carry your presence with us. We carry your glory with us. Can I just tell you that God's heart for that has not changed? That he still desires that his presence, that his goodness, that his glory would set his people apart. That it wouldn't be so much the way you dress or the places that you go, or the food that you eat, or all those different things that set you apart. You, you, I'm not saying you, you can't or that you, it's not okay to do this, but you, you don't have to have a breadcrumb and fish shirt for people to know that you're a Christian. You know, you, you've seen them. The original Old Navy, 12 men in a boat, right? Like these shirts, these, these Christian shirts, or, or Jesus, King of, of Saviors, looking like Reese's. You know, they're really clever, and we so cleverly copied what the world's doing. But it was never intended that that's what set us apart from the world. It was always supposed to be His presence, His goodness, His kindness that went with us. It was supposed to be His glory that dwelt upon us and in us that set us apart. And so, so on His end, God takes on a tent that He can dwell amongst people. Now in 2 Corinthians 3.7, we read this. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stone came with glory so that the sons of God could look in, not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case was no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So if what was, if the old covenant, if the ministry of condemnation, the law came to condemn and show man the sinful nature that they had, the sinfulness that there was inside of them, and the need they had for a Savior, and if that covenant, if that ministry had a glory on it, Paul's writing and he says, how much more than that which is lasting, that the covenant of grace that we live under, should that also not contain glory that abounds? In other words, if Moses' face shone for a little bit and then it would fade after a while and he was under the ministry of condemnation, maybe us under the new covenant, under the better covenant with better promises should constantly walk around radiating the goodness and the glory of God in a way that doesn't fade, in a way that doesn't have to be go to a place to get more of it because the place has now come inside of us and we carry the presence rather than just going somewhere and getting it upon us and going and reflecting it to the world, we actually carry the very presence of God inside of us and it radiates and it shines and you look different. And even though you look the same to you, you look so different to everyone else. So what does it look like in the new covenant, right? Because Jesus came and and fulfilled every step of the old covenant, but even better, according to Hebrews and 
And everything that was done in the old is a foreshadow of what was to come in the new. And so for context, Second Peter 1.13 says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. That word dwelling there is the Greek word skenoma, which means an encampment, the temple, as in God's residence, or tabernacle. So Peter is talking about his earthly body, and he calls it a tabernacle. He calls it a tent, a dwelling place, a temple. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So remember in Exodus, God says, I want to dwell with my people. I want them to prepare a tent for me that I can come and I can dwell among them. And then in the New Covenant, Jesus comes and the Word is made flesh so that God can dwell amongst His people. God's heart has always been to dwell amongst His people. And the first time He dwells in a tent made with earthly hands, made with human hands, and the next time that He comes to dwell amongst His people, He lives in a tent made from the earth that was built by His hands. Remember when God made Adam, what did He do? He reached down and He grabbed the earth, the dirt itself, and He breathed into the dirt and life became. And so this earthly tent that God created now in the new covenant, Jesus comes and He makes His dwelling place as the Word becomes flesh and He takes on the identity of man. Now he's not just in a tent somewhere. He's in an, an earthly suit, an earthly tent, and he looks like a human being. Philippians 2.5 Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So Jesus takes on the form of humanity and the likeness of a man, and He did this so that He could perfectly walk out what we were called to in the beginning in the garden, which was to trust God and obey Him. And man lost his ability to perfectly trust and obey God, and so Jesus comes and takes on the form of a man in order that He can perfectly fulfill the responsibility of a man on our behalf. The problem is, is that He looks like man so completely that man doesn't even recognize Him as God. He walks in the earth and the very ones who are looking for Him, the scribes and the Pharisees who study the Scriptures, who are waiting for the coming Messiah because He comes in a way that they're not expecting, because He doesn't look like what they're expecting Him to look like. When He comes and takes on the form of a man, they look at Him and they can't see that He's God because He looks so much like me and you. Whereas someone who would look at, at your robe, right? If you exchanged robes, if you exchanged identities the way that it was done in Old Covenant times, when they looked closely enough at you, they could see that it was actually you inside of that robe and that even though you might have taken on their identity you still look like you but Jesus comes and takes on our identity so completely that he doesn't even know anymore look like himself and when people look at him he looks completely like a man so much so that they can't even recognize him because what was done in part in the old covenant is done in full in the new covenant it's why we have a better covenant based on better promises it's not just Jesus coming on and remaining God but putting on a coat that you can look at him and see it's God wearing my coat he actually comes and takes on the appearance of a man so completely that when people look at him they can't tell he's God he looks like a man the crazy thing is is that if we're not careful we'll have an idea of what God looks like when he shows up in our life and what it looks like for God to show up in our lives and what it looks like for God to move in our lives and we won't recognize him when he comes and when he shows up in our lives because he doesn't look like what we expected 
because the Pharisees and the scribes studied the Scripture waiting to see when He was going to come. And because what He came like didn't meet their expectations. Because He was born in a manger, in a filthy, stinky animal manger, surrounded by the mess of the world. Because He looked just like a man. Because He walked like a man, talked like a man, ate like a man. Did everything that a man does. They couldn't see Him as God because He didn't meet their expectations. It's crazy that the demons recognized Jesus before the men of God. They knew who he was. They saw him. What do you want from us, son of David? What do you want from us, son of man? Why have you come to torment us? As soon as they see him, they recognize him for who he is. Why? Because they're not looking according to the flesh. They're looking according to the spirit. And they're doing what God's called us to do. And they see him for who he truly is. And they recognize him long before the godly men of that day could see who he was. It'd be a sad day. If God was moving among us. And the demons could recognize Him. And the demons could see what was going on. And we looked. And because it didn't look like what we were expecting. We couldn't see Him for who He was. And we missed God in our midst. God may show up in your midst looking like somebody you didn't expect. The very person that you really don't like. God may use to come and speak to you. That person that gets under your skin a little bit that you've always kind of wondered about, maybe the very person that God uses to speak to you and wants to talk to you through. And if your expectation is for it to be the person that you really admire and look up to, you may miss him if he's standing there in front of you speaking to you. And that's why we have to turn off our human eyes and turn on his eyes and see things through heaven's eyes. So Jesus comes and, 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 and now, unlike Moses, right, where, the, where people will recognize us the people by your presence, it's now full circle and people don't recognize God at all. They don't recognize Him because He so completely takes it on. That's part of the reason why Jesus walked and moved in the supernatural, did signs and wonders. Remember at the end of His life as He's speaking to people, John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on My own initiative, but the Father abiding in Me does His works. Believe Me that I am in the Father. And the Father is in me. In other words, believe me. Just believe what I'm saying to you. That's always His desire, is that it doesn't take something outside of Him just speaking for us to believe. He wants to speak and have us know His voice. My sheep hear My voice and they know My voice. He wants to be able to just speak to you. He doesn't want to have to shake the heaven and the earth and do these things. I know we all want Him to show up and do these amazing things, but truthfully, Jesus would rather have just been able to speak to people and then be able to understand and believe who He was. So He says... Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe me because of the works themselves. For truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And the greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. But I'm telling you guys, listen, among his people, God, he would way rather, Jesus would way rather be able to just speak to you and you hear his voice and know his voice and obey rather than have to shake the walls and speak with a booming voice and, and write something on the wall or do these different things for you to believe that he is who he says he is or that he wants you to do what he wants you to do. Signs and wonders, he said, were for the unbelievers. Right? But I will say this now, if Jesus, being perfect representation of God, being perfect in every way, loving perfectly, and speaking only what He heard the Father say, doing only what He heard, saw the Father do, if He couldn't do what God called Him to do and convince people of who God was without walking in the supernatural, I promise you we haven't come up with a better way to do that. I promise you we haven't come up with a way of presenting Him to Jesus with just our words that was better than what Jesus did. 
and being able to convince people that he is who he says he is without the signs and wonders that follow Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, anybody that believes in me, the things I do, he'll do in greater because I go to the Father. I know, but he said it. That's not thus saith the Roy, that's thus saith the Word. If you don't believe the words that I speak, at least believe the miracles that I've done. And I tell you this, anybody who believes in me, the things that I do, he will do also because I go to the Father and do greater things. And we get so caught up trying to figure out what the greater things are that we miss out on the fact that he said that the things that he did, we would do. Before we start worrying about trying to label what the greater things are, maybe we should actually stop and realize that the God of the universe who came and took on an earthly form in, in man and then said that the things that I've done, you'll do if you believe. But instead, we just muddy the waters and confuse the argument with what the greater things are and completely miss out on the fact that he said the things that I do, you'll do also. I promise you if Jesus needed to be able to do the things that he did to convince people that he was who he said he was, and then he said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I send you. He has every intention that we walk in this world the way that he walked. He has every intention that we do the same things that he did because he said that we would. And yeah, that confronts a lot of what I've, I've seen in my own life, right? Because I have to look at times where I've tried to do the things that Jesus did and it hasn't worked. But I can't blame my failure on his lack of promise. I have to be willing to look at myself and say, maybe I missed something. I have to be able to look at me and say, maybe Jesus really said what he said and maybe my life isn't the truth. Maybe my life isn't proof that Jesus was wrong. Maybe my life is proof that... <coughs> there's still some more room for me to grow. There's still some more that I don't know. There's still some things that I'm not sure about. So Jesus took on our identity, so what about us? Because it's always an exchange, right? It's always taking one thing, one person giving something up and the other person putting something on. And so Romans 13, 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Christ clothed himself in humanity so that man could clothe themselves in Christ. Clothe yourselves in Christ. He took on all that we were so that we could take on all that He was. It was a complete exchange. This, this redemption that God put into place of, of the plan that He had was for His Son to come and take on the form of humanity and to become sin so that we could become His righteousness. It's a complete exchange. It's not just a partial. It's not just a robe that we walk around with and we say, yeah, I'm just a sinner, but thank God I have this robe that He gave me. No, actually something about who you are changes and you're no longer who you were the old you has passed away and behold you're a new creation in christ and rather than it just being a filthy sinner covered with a robe that when people look at they can say well yeah you've got his robe but you're still just a filthy sinner he actually plans for the for the transformation to be so complete that we actually put him on and we look like him and we act like him because we are like him Right? Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Thank God that He came and put on our filthy rags so that we could put on His righteousness. Thank You, Jesus, for coming and taking on the filthy rags so that I could take on Your righteousness. 
that it wasn't just an exchange of coats, that it wasn't just this incomplete thing, that you actually became sin. Think about that. It doesn't just say He took on sin. It doesn't just say that, that, he, that He took it on like something He wore. It says He became sin who knew no sin. Why? Because He had every intention of you becoming something that you weren't. Not just a cover-up. Not just a partial. Not just a little deal. He had every intention of you actually becoming something that you weren't. So He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Something that never was became something that it wasn't. And something that was became something it never used to be. And I'm not the same. I'm now a new creation in Christ. He took your sin. He took your shame. He took your guilt so completely that He no longer wants you to look at yourself and see yourself through that and label yourself by that so you actually become righteousness. It's not, oh, uh, I, I, I have righteousness. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your Bible tells you that. It's complete. It's not partial. That's why we have a better covenant with better promises. Because what they could do back then with the blood of bulls and goats was they could take away the sin of a period of time, but they were still under the condemnation of that sin. It was just the blood that took away the punishment for that sin. And then the next year they would have to do that the same thing because it was fading, because it couldn't take it forever. And then Jesus comes and He takes away the sins that have been and the sins that are and the sins that will be. And before you were ever born, the sacrifice was made so that you didn't have to be labeled by your sin. You didn't have to walk around in shame and guilt. And you could actually become something that you weren't. And you can trade what you were for who He is. Because He traded what He is for what you were. What a covenant we have. That's good news. That's why the Gospel means good news. It's good news. It's actually too good to be true. Except that the Word says that it is. 1 John 4.16, we have come to know and believe the love of God, which, with the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love, in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. As He is in this world, so are we. How is Jesus right now? It says, as He is. This is post-cross, post-ascension. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is perfect, spotless, and blameless. That our sin was conquered, our death was conquered when He descended to hell. And as He arose and ascended into heaven, He becomes the spotless Lamb of God who sits at the right hand of the Father, entitled to a place in the courtroom of God at His throne, at His right hand. And it says, as Jesus is, so also in this, we are in this world. It doesn't say as Jesus was. Why? Because Jesus came to become sinful man. So that sinful man could become holy, spotless, pure, and blameless. As He is in this world, so are we. Don't ever let somebody tell you, well, you're nothing but a filthy sinner. If that's the case, get born again. Don't ever let somebody tell you, well, you know, you're just a miserable wretch and thank God that God has grace and mercy for you. If that's the case, then get born again and stop being a miserable wretch and start being a worthy, loved son of God. Trade in what you were for who he is because he traded what he was for who you were. Don't make it be in vain. See, and I'm going to just close up with this, okay? Um, the, we, we read in the Old Covenant, I'm skipping over some stuff because I'm just going to try to to get to this, okay? But, but here's the thing. 
is that you trade who you were for who he is because he traded who he was for who you were, okay? And so now you are, something changes and you become a new creation in Christ and you're no longer just a mere man. This is why when Paul's writing to the church, he says, why are you acting like mere men? First Corinthians 3, 3, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? In other words, you guys are doing things that you used to do before you became born again, before you became a new creation in Christ and you're acting like mere men. Why? Because they're not mere men. So when they do something that is merely man, they're acting like they're mere man because something has changed. They're no longer just a human being. They're actually a temple and a tabernacle of the presence of God and He lives and dwells inside of them. And what you were has changed and you've exchanged that for who He is. And that's why Paul has this expectation of them and says, why are you guys living that way? You're living like mere men. No longer does the excuse of, well, you know, I'm just human work for you anymore because you're not just human anymore. You're a temple, a tabernacle, a dwelling place for the presence of a holy God. You're clothed in Christ. You're robed in His righteousness. It's not just a thing that you put on and one day when you stand before God, hope that He doesn't see your face and He sees the coat. It's something that you put on and you become something new. If any man is in Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and everything has become new. It's a complete redemption. It's a complete exchange. Because Jesus made a complete exchange. He emptied Himself of His deity. emptied Himself of who He was. Came to earth and became sin. Became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not just have it. That's something we have to understand. Because if it's just something you have, then you can lose it. But if it's what you've become, then you can't become something else again. You can become born again, but there's nothing in the Word about becoming dead again. Because something's changed and you're not who you were. And there's no going back. And that's why now when you act like you used to act before you were born again, you're acting like a man because it's not what you are. An actor portrays something that he's not. It's an act. It's not really who he is. He's just acting like something that he's not. Does that mean you're never going to make a mistake? You're never going to sin again? No, that's why there's grace. But it does mean that it should be the exception of your life, not the expectation of your life. That the expectation of your life is that you get up every day with the kingdom of God living and dwelling inside of you, longing to be released into this earth. That your actions are going to look like His because you've put Him on. And it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. It's all in the Word. Every bit of it. It's so much better than just saying a prayer and getting a robe that really we're the same, but we have His coat. And hopefully when they, we try to get through the door, they'll look at the coat and not our face. We've actually become new creations in Christ. That's why when people look at you, you look in the mirror and you think you look the same, but you run into people that used to live with you when you lived a different way and they say, you don't even look the same. You don't even look the same. I hear it look like a different person. I'm thinking, well, I, I used to have dreadlocks. I shaved my head maybe. No, 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 it's not that. I used to have gold teeth. Maybe it's, no, it's not that. I used to be really, really skinny. No, it's not that. There's just something different about you. You don't even look. You're not the same person. You've changed. Something's different. See, that's when evangelism becomes easy because now people recognize something different about you. It wasn't hard for Moses to tell the people I've been with God when they saw the presence of God glowing on his face. It's not hard for us to say that I've met the living God when they see evidence of that glowing all over your face and all over your life. When you love them, even when they act unlovable, when you have patience with them, even when they're not being 
lovable when you when you're kind to them even when they dis- expect for you to be judgmental when you show them grace even when they deserve ju- deserve justice when you show them mercy even when they deserve punishment when you just love them the way that Jesus loved you because you're not the same you're a new creation the old you passed away and everything became new and you exchanged who you were for who he is just read that verse every day as you wake up in the morning. Turn to 1 John 4.16. Say, we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. I've come to know that God loves me and I believe that He loves me. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God. Remember that term abide in is always a covenant term. It's talking about who is in covenant with God. So the one who's in covenant with God and loves God, God's in covenant with them and loves them. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Love is perfected in me. Remember, perfect love cast out all fear. I have no fear to go before Him because His perfect love has cast it out. And I understand that I'm no longer the person that I was and I don't stand before Him and get judged on the things that I've done. I stand before Him and I'm seen by the righteousness and the actions of Jesus and the obedience of Christ because I've actually become a new creation in Christ. So it says, by this, love is perfected in us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. And just remind yourself of how He is right now. He's perfect. He's pure. He's blameless. He's upright. He's spotless. He's not afraid. He's at the right hand of the Father. He has access to the throne of God and everything that is God's He has access to. And as He is, so also are we in this world. In this world. Not one day. I love that He included that line, in this world. Not as He is, so also will we be. Not as He is, so also will we be when we get to heaven. He says, as He is, so also are we. Right now, we are in this world as Jesus is. Why? Because the exchange is so complete that we've taken on and we've clothed ourselves with Christ. And now, when we walk into the, to the court of God and we walk in before His presence, before His throne, it's as if Jesus Himself walks in. When you walk into Bilo, when you walk into the restaurant, when you walk into school, it's as if Jesus Himself walked into the room. If He lives and dwells inside of you, it's got to be true, right? If it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, then when I walk into the room, Jesus just walked in. And when I walk into God's presence, it'll be Jesus walking in that He sees. Because I'm clothed in Christ. And it's so complete that just like man couldn't recognize God because of how he, much He looked like a man, I've become so much like Jesus because I've become the righteousness of God in Christ. And when people look at me, they don't recognize me for the old man. When God looks at me, He doesn't see me as the one born of Adam. He sees me as the one born again of His Son. Justice has already been paid. Punishment was passed out. Sin was dealt with. And I stand before Him holy, upright, blameless, and pure. Because I'm in Christ. And He's in me. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You established this covenant, God. I thank You for the power of God living and dwelling inside of each and every one of us. God, I thank You that that it's more than just a cover-up, God. That it's more than just a a thing I have, God. That it's who I've become and it's who that I am. God, 
God, I ask that You would just continue to reveal to us how complete this redemption is. God, I have no fear that we would overestimate ourselves. I don't think we can. That we would overestimate our worth to You. I don't think that we can overestimate how valuable and how precious we are to You. Because You spent the life of Your Son for me. For us. God, I pray that we would understand this covenant that we have with You. That we wouldn't judge ourselves as unworthy to receive all that You have for us, but that we would know because of this exchange that has taken place that we deserve to receive all that was Jesus's as we are joint heirs with Him, in Him. I thank You for Your peace and Your grace and Your love flowing from us, God, that we would walk and radiate the goodness of God in this world, that men would want to know what we have because of the way that we live, that our lives would be different because we are different, that it wouldn't be an act, God, that it's who we are. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you, when you walk out that door, you're clothed in Christ. Okay? Because He came down and clothed Himself with you. The hard part's taken care of. That God would empty Himself and come down and take me on is the hard part. That I would accept the gift of, of life in Him and that I would become born again and put Him on isn't hard. That's a no-brainer. That I would clothe myself with Christ. Yes, please. Yeah. See, that's why the gospel's good news. It's better than you could come up with on your own. It takes faith to believe it because it's that good. If it doesn't take faith to believe the goodness of God, it's not God. Right? Like, you can't overestimate how valuable you are. The way that you figure the value of something, if I want an estimation of it, is I take it to somebody who does appraisals and they look up what has been paid for this item in the past and that determines future value. Right? So if I want to know what I'm worth to God, I go to Him and I say, God, what am I worth? And He says, you're worth the price that I paid for you already. That's your worth. That's your value. What was the price that He paid? It was the life and blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ. That's your worth. That's your value. If you ever need an appraisal, just turn to the Bible and see that He traded the life of His Son for your life, for the chance at your life. Yeah. God... He's, he's amazing. He's good. He's better than we deserve. We love you guys. Um, um, we have youth next week. Nothing going on tonight. Hang out, watch football, enjoy time with your families. Yeah, have a good time. Um, get to know some people before you leave. We'll see you back here next Sunday. We're going to be c- continuing on with this, uh, this covenant. We have two steps of covenant left, and, and then we're going to wrap up this series and launch into a brand new one. Um, invite you guys to come back next week and hang out with us. Get to know some people before you leave. We love you guys. Our prayer team will be up here at the end. And listen, if you need prayer for anything, if you need healing in your body, spiritually, emotionally, physically, Come let us lay hands on you and pray for you. It's a basic of the faith, according to Paul. If you need to hear a word from God and somebody speak His truth to you, if you're facing just a difficult decision and you need wisdom, and you want wisdom that's from heaven, that's not earthly, let somebody lay their hands on you. Let them pray for you. Let them speak His truth to you. Let them pour into you. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll see you back here next Sunday.